Welcome to this afternoon's uh, conversation with the China Research Group. Uh, differently from most of our sessions, this is actually just a conversation uh, between me and Desmond Shum. Now, for those of you who don't know, Desmond has just been uh, writing an extraordinary book and a very, very powerful book about his own experience of life in uh, and around the Communist Party of China. Uh, Desmond, why don't you introduce yourself just briefly and say how you started and where you got to before you left China? Uh, well, I am uh, born in Shanghai. I left uh, I left uh, China when I was 10, and I grew up in Hong Kong, I went to school in Hong Kong, teenage. And I went to school in the States. And then, uh, and then after graduation, I went back to Hong, Hong Kong for a few years. In 1997, I uh, went to uh, live in Beijing. I was with a U.S. investment firm. Uh, they sent me to, uh, uh, to Beijing to run their office there. So I've been, uh, and then I left them. And I was in Beijing until about 2015, 16. And so when you came to the UK, what, why did you come? It was... Uh, it was like I you know Xi Jinping came into power uh, 2012, and I I was watching that, and I I you know obviously I think you know in the book I also mentioned after 2000 um, after 2008 after financial crisis I, I really sense things are changing, and uh, you know I was wondering you know what's gonna in you know, a new administration in town what they're gonna bring, and after two three years of him and I was like you know this thing is not gonna go well. That's uh, the camp. And so, tell me about tell me about Chairman Xi. What what is it about his central control of the party or, or, or the country that that so concerned you? Uh, I think you know, in two thousand eight, right? You know, two thousand eight. I have uh, at that time, I had a I run a company as a uh, joint venture with a state-owned enterprise, the Beijing Airport. And, um, you know, 2008, all of a sudden they have, uh, they asked, you know, we have to set up party sales uh, in a company. And then I, they were assigned a party secretary to my company. And then, you know, so things, you know, on, on a micro level, on my own level, things are starting to change. And then on a macro level, you're already starting to see the state-owned enterprises uh, as a sector is pushing forward, marching on, and, um, and the private sector is kind of retracting back a bit. And then with him coming in, um, that that pace definitely seems to quicken. You know, I was um, I was I sit on the Beijing. You know, there's a political consultative conference, and then you have people come in. The officials, senior officials of the party, come in and give us talks, and and directly they say, you know, we are not going to go the Western route of uh, democracy. You know, in the past, you know, there was sense that. The, the political consultative conference is becoming almost like the upper house. And then they have run that people's Congress, which becoming you know, almost like a lower house. And they, they specifically said that is not going to be the case. And so multiple things changing. And then you see he, Xi Jinping start, you know, have this massive movement of a quote unquote anti-corruption drive. And, and, and you see, I sense that, you know, this is extraordinary. I mean, the first they were, okay, this is good. Then it's not that the country probably deal for some kind of cleansing because it is, uh, as I mean, rampant is getting rampant for corruption. And then, but then with the massive arrests and then some of the people he's taken down, it's obviously political targeting. You touched there on, on the corruption that really forms 
the heart of your book, you talk about about the uh, the financial chicanery at the heart of the state. Just tell me, what did it touch, or what does it touch? Perhaps a better way of putting it. Uh, touch everything. Does it touch politics? Does it touch business? Does it touch education? Where everything? I think everything. I mean, you know, obviously, the number now it's after his uh, ten years of administration, about four point over four million uh, CCP member. I'm just talking CCP member bureaucrats has been um, arrested or punished. Four point two million over the last ten years. And that's touching all sectors. And then you have all different private sector interacting with, you know, China's uh, I mean, political, you know, as I noted in the book, political power is everything. Anybody want to do business, you are associated with political power at some level. Um, and so that obviously has an aspect that affects everything you do. And so uh, as part of that, how important is Chairman Xi at the heart of it? He is, uh, he's the heartbeat of the whole, there's, there's this whole movement. So when he, when he talks about the anti-corruption drive, do you not believe he's serious about it? Or do you think that he's using it in a different way? Forgive me, that bell is a sign that I'm, democracy is starting in London. <laughs> First started almost uh, about like half a year before, before he assumed office, which is very, very unusual because usually people, don't do that because essentially you, you essentially you are slapping the previous administration just like look at how bad you run things and that's very unusual and after about a year after he in office i talked to people you know sort of in the circle and i was like where is this going they said well no you know they say well, it's going to stop very soon because when you arrest have that many people uh, at first people say yes you are um they, they, you are arresting you are arresting corrupt officials. But if you go on like that, you are indicting the entire system because, I mean, because you arrest, you know, at that time, you're talking about tens of thousands of people already and you're indicting the entire system. Are you going to do something about a system? And if you're not going to do something about a system, then, then, then what? So, so that's the question, really serious question get raised. Where is it going? And so, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, um, uh, emphasis has been on um, political rivals. And of course, we, we, we saw in the early days Bao Xilai. Yeah. How important was that as a way of securing his own base? I think the early phases almost, I mean, not even early phases. I think it's an ongoing process. It's very important. I mean, I, I, I mean, Bao Xilai is obviously, I, I mean, the book, I touch on three person, right? One is Bao Xilai, obviously, that's another princeling, which is, directly challenging, uh, possibly challenging his power. The other one I talk about is uh, Sun Zhengcai, right, which is the party secretary of Chongqing, which is a city of 30 million people. Um, he, he, that guy is uh, designated to be a successor. Supposedly he was, uh, if he wasn't arrested on quote unquote corruption charges, he's gonna assume office either number one or number two guys uh, next year. And then the other one he took out was Lin Jihua, who was the uh, was supposed to assume uh, uh, the party bureau member, and then was uh, designated uh, as um, how to a power broker for Hu Jintao. So those three person all on corruption charges, and then taking down those three person, I would say changed the course of the history for China. And so, I mean, when you when you talk about those three. They were not just individuals, of course, but they were the heads of 
their own power centers. Yes. So how much of these arrests have actually destabilized the the Chinese Communist Party itself? Have they have they caused any discontent within it? I think it's obviously, I mean, that's why, I mean, a lot of, I mean, I think one of the things, uh, you know, in China, it's, as you just mentioned, everybody is, you know, runs their own pyramid. So if you're a county officer, you get promoted to the municipal level, you make sure the county, you you got your own people replacing your county, and you want to run the other three counties too. And then so you, you as you rise up the, uh, the, the chain of commands, uh, you build a bigger, bigger, bigger pyramid. So when, when they... When you arrest, arrest three persons like that, you are taking down, you know, you try to take down an entire pyramid, not just the, the, the three guys. You want to cleanse the system of their supporters and then their associates. So when you arrest, you know, four million people and, you know, including two vice chairman of the military, Central Military Commission, you are taking down a lot of pyramid. Even, you know, you say, you know, one person have five associates, you are talking about 20 million people within the system has some grudge holding against you. So, he, 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 you know, at that time, and even in 2014, 2015, I was like, have that kind, with that kind of massive arrest, there's no way he's going to retire because the backlash is going to be so strong, it will overwhelm him. So his danger is, is losing power, losing control. And and the revenge that that would bring. Yes, and then and in, in in China case, as you can see, you know, if you lose power and then the backlash come, it's not just against you; it's against you, your family, your supporters, your associate, which which is what he had been doing. You know, trying to take down the entire you know the entire clan, so to speak. Now, unless Chairman Xi has achieved something that nobody else has, he's not going to live forever. So, how do you see? the transfer of power in China in the next 20 or so years? I think that's one of the things I think many people, uh, you know, whether it's government or major corporation or anybody who have major, you know, stakes in China, you really need to look at in the situation I is Xi Jinping now has systematically taken out any uh, legitimate assessor. So now, there's nobody who that anybody, you know, 90 million members of the CCP can point to say, well, if something happened, this is Xi to Xi Jinping, this is the guy who's going to lead us. There's nobody. He intentionally makes sure of that. And that's a major risk. You know, whether it's a, somebody give him a bullet in the head, a heart attack, uh, a major health issue, take him out of, incapitated him for a lengthy time, period of time. Then what happened? It, it, that that's many people will say, I have a claim to the front as many as much as the next guy. And the other thing is, this China, you know, before Xi Jinping for twenty some years, that is no brutal cleansing. You don't, you don't. If you get taken out of power, it, there is no like pursuit of your per, of you personally and your personal interests. In a, in a ruthless way. that The system has gotten complacent. But in the last 10 years, through this cleansing, which is ruthless, people, the system experiencing experiencing that. The next fight for the top job, if Xi Jinping has something happened to Xi Jinping, will be brutal. Because people say, well, look at it. You know, If I don't get this job, I know what's going to come to me. I better fight it to the bitter end. 
And that is a very, very dangerous situation, not just for China, for anybody with a stick in China. And that's something really, I think people should have a, have a have, need to study that, put an you know, contingency parallel around it, and then keep looking at that situation. Can I just go over that again for a minute, Desmond, because you, you raised an important question there. You Effectively, you've said there's two kinds of short-termism that have been injected into uh, the Chinese political system. The first is right at the top, where uh, clearly there's no 40-year vision if the transfer of power from this leader to the next is so chaotic. I mean, kings and emperors around the world have spent I mean, there's hundreds of years of history written about how they always want sons in order to achieve a peaceful succession. And you're saying that what Chairman Xi is doing is literally the reverse. He's killing those who could be considered sons in order to make sure that there is no possible succession too early. But you're saying that that actually feeds through into every level. So that actually puts a fracture, a sort of a a deep instability at everything from provincial to municipal party governance. Is that right? Mm, no, I'm saying two. Uh, I think I'm saying two things. One is uh, he systematically he makes sure there's no succession because the moment you name a successor, power can start shifting. People planning start you know people start planning for the day after. So that's what he has been doing. This is a short termism you just mentioned in the first case. The second case I'm talking about is if something happened to him that for whatever reason he's incap- incapacitated for an extended period of time, the fight will be intense and brutal and ruthless. Right. It'll trigger a form of uh, internal conflict that could could be very difficult to manage. Very difficult. And so nobody and nobody can manage that actually. Yeah. Now that sadly puts a short term into a very important structural relationship that most of the world needs. Do you see a way of getting beyond that? Or is it only Chairman Xi who can do that? Uh can do what? To make sure there is some kind of obsession. Exactly. To make sure that the continuity is possible. At uh, the moment, I mean, he, you know, he's the one who wanted, he's the one who have been doing systematically now over the last decade, making sure that's no such a thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, I'm interested as well, when we look at uh, the way in which the party under Chairman Xi has been controlling elements. It's it's interesting that he's made various decisions in recent months in particular over some of the tech companies. I mean, the most obvious one is Jack Ma, but actually there have been many others. Yeah, and the yeah. way in which Ant Group has been brought to heel. Yeah. Do you see that as part of the um, anti-corruption drive or is that something else? I actually, I, I think, I, I see it as something else. I think in my view what the wake up call for them is, is uh, the presidential us presidential election the last one you know the seeing how facebook google you know microsoft or bloomberg or they all could gain up and uh, silence the president and that's uh, something that for the ccp it's unthinkable and it's a serious serious threat and and that is i think that's the trigger point they say well we need to take them down we need to bring them back into the system, our system of control. I think that was the trigger point. I mean, that that suggests that there are there are many more threats uh, beyond beyond the sort of long term stability question. And what do you see as the greatest central threat to Chairman Xi today? I think that the, the, the biggest threat is, you know, a classic rule to all dictatorship is you are blinded because you are 
people are singing to your tune. Everybody trying to sing to your tune. And they're guessing what's your tune and they try to sing before you even name it. And then you 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 get blinded. And then in 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 that, you know, it's classic in throughout, throughout history, it's proven that kind of situation many very often um the dictator makes catastrophic decisions because of their blinded from the reality. Yeah, some people say that Wuhan was an example of that, and that uh yes. cover up and the secrecy is not deliberate in the sense that it's not ordered, but it's the consequence of a regime in which fear is the dominant factor. Very much so. I agree. Okay. And the um I, I'm just interested as well in the in the emphasis that the state has had on uh, entrepreneurs and on innovation in recent years. Um do you think that this interference is going to grow or will entrepreneurs find a way around it? You know, if you look at uh, from a long-term perspective, you know, I've been, I was there for almost 20 years. We always, we as entrepreneurs, as a, as a group, always uh, in general try to avoid long-term investment. We do short-term things. You know, everything needs to come back and give me a return in, a, you know, start giving me a return in three years. We're not going to invest in something like, you know, what, like Tesla does, you know, you don't see a return in like decade, uh, that decade out. And that is a situation China, you know, any system long-term, you cannot succeed with that kind of entrepreneur holding that kind of mentality. And then with what's happening in the last, you know, over the last 10 years uh, under Xi Jinping and then intensely over the last few years, I mean, entrepreneurs are all scaling back. Everybody basically want to take chips off the table Everybody want to ship money outside, move capital outside, and then well, let, let me. That's why you see wave of uh, a high-profile tech CEO all resigning, right? All resigning, say, well, we, well I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a back seat now. And so, I mean, the interesting thing about that is, is some people have said um, that this is a very astute move by Beijing. To- to rebalance the Chinese economy, uh, to slow down some of the uh, higher levels of growth, to sort of ease off on some of the indebtedness that many uh, businesses have got. Do you you don't buy that? I don't buy that at all. I think a lot of people have some kind of blind faith uh, in a, in a China system because of the, the the growth over the last three decades. Yeah. Now, is there? I mean. Is there such a thing as a successful company at the moment in China that has separated its influence from that of the CCP, or is there not? There's no such a thing. CCP basically sees that every company is a company I give you a license to operate. I can take a license away. I can take your business away. Every company belongs to me. To, to, to talk about like that's a private sector versus state sector, the private sector is independent from the state. It is completely, you know, blinded to the facts on the ground. So for a long time, we heard um, how, for example, Huawei was an independent company and we should deal with this as an independent company. You don't buy that. That's no such a thing. <laughs> okay. It's pretty clear. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, I'm I'm also interested because you had such a long time in Hong Kong. I mean, many of us uh, who've got a deep affection uh, for Hong Kong and indeed for China see the erosion of rights of Chinese citizens in Hong Kong as a great sadness. Um, yes. Do you think those Chinese citizens are going to have their rights restored or is that 
one of those moments where sadly the world has turned and it won't turn back. It won't turn back. It won't turn back. I think the way the, the, the way the situation is this, uh, China first do this, uh, um, Hong Kong, you know, one, one country, two system really they, with the mind of using it as example for Taiwan. And obviously that Taiwan, you know, the, the, the sale, you know, the boat has sailed, you know, over the last 10 years, they have, they are charting their own course. And then, they, so the, the function of that Hong Kong being example for Taiwan is already gone. And the next thing is, then, then they, they say, well, okay, this is a, a region which is systematically different from the system we are running. And I need to absorb that into the system. And then, then, and then you, over time, then oh, every level of bureaucrat dealing with Hong Kong, they try to mold it in the way they want to mold it. And uh, it enriches the usual way the CCP runs you know, an, an area. And it comes to a breaking point in Chinese, you know, the, the Hong Kong people say, well, you know, we, we don't want, we cannot go along and the other, you know, 2019 major protest. And then after that, the CCP just, you know, speed up the dial in terms of uh, absorbing Hong Kong into a complete CCP controlled region. And so let's just talk about Hong Kong today then. Is it is it really definitely dominated by the CCP? There's no inter- Independent. You don't. You don't argue. There's an independent judiciary anymore. Really, there's not an independent law and no. legal body. I mean, even even about um, six, seven, seven, eight years ago, one of my classmates my, uh, in my secondary school is a high court judge. He is a high court judge. Mm-hmm. He taught. You know, we, we get it one from time to time. He talked to me about, me about how a CCAP operative. So they assign the oper- CCP operative is having almost like an intelligent officer uh, to uh, each to every high court judge. They every monitor their high court judge has, has a CCP yeah. minder. They every one of, of them has uh, is, uh, has been assigned one. That guy will talk to him from time to time, you know, and then get a, you know, his, you know, what's his fault and then, you know, what's happening around him and all that. And I was listening to that. I was like, you know, there's no way. I mean, it's, it's very simple fact. They, they, what they need to do is every, every Hong Kong people have families, relatives, associates going to China. What they will do is like, if you have a, let's say you have a, you know, you have a court judge ruling to, uh, tomorrow or next week or whatever, then they say that's important. They're not even going to tell you, say, well, I want you to rule a certain way. When your parents or your wife or children crossing the border into China, all of a sudden you stop in the border and they take you in a small room. They don't even need to talk to you. They put you in a small room for five hours. And the next thing, they, they let you go. And then if you're a judge, you immediately know why why that person is taken, right? Who can sustain uh, sustain that kind of pressure? Who? Nobody. Because everyone have to have relatives and friends and, you know, family going to China, crossing the border all the time. That's, you know, I'm just giving examples. A very simple thing they do. No judge, no independent judiciary people can sustain that kind of pressure from China. So the lesson for us then in the UK is that people who have family in, in, in China or in Hong Kong could be under pressure even though they're in the UK because the jurisdiction isn't what matters. It's where the leverage points are. Yes. Yes. It's, 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 the CCP is very clear and they, they have demonstrated that you know, throughout time. And to you, of course, you've paid a very heavy price. 
Yes. And may I just ask what contacts have you had with your, your ex-wife in the last few years? Well, I mean, she got disappeared September uh, 5th, uh, um, 20, uh, 2017. And um, I published the book, um, I, you know, I, I picked the publishing date on the fourth anniversary of her disappearance. And then over that four years, she never been charged. Nobody heard from her, from, heard from her. Nobody have seen her. She just like, you know, vanished. And then, you know, grooming her parents, nobody know. And until two days before my book publishing, she all of a sudden reappeared, gave me a call and then said, well, ask me to stop the book. It's quite a, it's quite an indictment on the absence of legal protections for Chinese citizens. It's all whatever is convenience for the, for the CC, ruling, ruling CCP. So this sounds, I mean, the description that you're making makes it sound like a new imperial class. It is. And then one of the, one of the things I want to point out in the book is uh, there is this class of people, I call them red aristocrats. You know, they're the father, the grandfather, sort of founding senior member of the CCP. And they just inherited, you know, and they have, they have privileged, they're privileged uh, to, you know, they, they basically own the country. You know, one of the example is uh, the centennial of uh, party uh, celebration, which was a few months ago. The seven busload of people went on the Tiananmen Square. And then besides Xi Jinping uh, overlooking the, the parade in front of them, who are they? They are ordinary citizens, ordinary citizens, no specific title, no specific contribution you can talk about to the society or to the country. The only reason they can have such privilege is because of the bloodline. And this is, this is the way the system is. And this is what they actually, owe. you know, we, we talk about CCP like, you know, the CCP actually is run by people, owned by people at the top. And these are the people, they're the actual owners of CCP. So we're now in the communist dynasty. They are definitely communist upon the dynasty. They are, I mean, they, they live a different way. They go to different school. They have a different medical system. Even their food are, su- are supplied by a specific farm, only farming for them. Yeah, it's a very, very different form of equality. Well, look, Desmond, thank you very much indeed for your um, time this afternoon, and particularly thank you for your extraordinary courage. And for those who haven't read it, can I strongly recommend Red Roulette, an insider story of wealth, power, corruption, and vengeance in today's China. Desmond has written an extraordinarily powerful book and uh, really has paid the price for speaking out and for his extraordinary courage in in, in braving uh, this rather brutal regime. I have to say, I'm very grateful for your courage today, Desmond, in speaking to us, but I'm also very grateful for your courage in, in writing what is a very, very powerful book. Thank you very much for joining us here on the China Research Group. Thank you, Tom.